Hello, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I am your host, TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, we're weapons. I'm joined by new guest to the show, Shannon Camarda, in a discussion of Hawkeye Episode 5, Ronin. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you're looking to bring some podcast cheer to someone in your life this holiday season, someone who perhaps like our friend Kate Bishop doesn't really have much going on in their kitchen, you could hook them up with a There Was an Idea mug from my merch shop on Spring. The link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by someone who is a new guest to the show, but to me, it doesn't really feel like she is because she's a friend, a longtime listener, and the wife of a guest who's been on the podcast a couple of times, Rich. Welcome to the podcast, Shannon Camarda. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So Shannon, I don't know if you, I know you're a listener of the show, but I don't know if you actually know this. Your voice has made an appearance on the show before in one of the outtakes episodes. Um, I vaguely remember walking in on my husband speaking to someone and not, yeah, no, I'm fully aware. (laughs) Which I think is really cool because in that way, you're very much like a character who first appears in the background and then kind of comes to the fore in the MCU. Yes. And I do know that I'm pretty sure he mentioned how like Marvel and like our relationship um, may have played into, you know, his experience with Marvel. Yes, he did mention that. And that leads me to the first big question that I ask all my guests here, which as a listener of the show, I'm sure you know how this goes. What is your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So growing up, I definitely had some experience with the cartoons. I didn't watch them religiously, but, you know, I was exposed to them at a younger age. And then funny enough, as was already mentioned, My now husband and I first date was to see Spider-Man with Mr. Tobey Maguire. (laughs) Um, But I've always really liked that genre of movie that like superhero slash fantasy, you know, something where you can really dive into another universe, another story and really get lost with it. So since then, I have seen all of the Marvel movies in release order, went back and watched them in what would be considered chronological order. I've rewatched them with my kids now. So we have a whole Marvel family going on right now. And it's really great to go back and look at the movies that you saw, you know, even a decade plus ago and watch them now with like new eyes on them. Yeah. One of my favorite things about spending time with you and Rich and the kids is just how much uh, the boys get into it as well. And it's so cool to see how thoughtful and how observant they are, even from uh, the perspective of people who are a younger age, and in a way, especially because they're of a younger age, the way they see things is so unique and so cool. Yeah. So rewatching movies that my husband and I have enjoyed through their eyes and the things that they pick up on and the connections they make and, you know, their idea of like what's right and what's wrong and who's good and who's evil. It's just, it's amazing. And it kind of brings a whole new perspective to it all. Yeah. So I got to ask, what are some of your favorite movies or shows in the MCU? I am Wakanda forever. I will forever, forever, forever love Black Panther. I think um, visually it was one of the most beautiful Marvel movies I've ever seen. And the cast that they had portraying all those characters I thought were phenomenal. Um, 
I mean, I have to go back to Iron Man, which kind of like, you know, kickstarted Marvel all over again and really got that big jump on like phase one of the MCU. I would have to say I really, really enjoyed Falcon and the Winter Soldier as far as um, TV shows went. I was a little nervous when Marvel was transitioning from movies to, you know, quote unquote sitcoms to see how that would really play out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another freight favorite that I can watch every single day, I'm not quite sure why, would have to be Thor Ragnarok. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. It's just, it's so funny. It's so good, but you can really like dive deeper into like all these other underlying storylines and connections in it. Um, One that I thought I never would really like was Doctor Strange. Mm. It just came across initially with the trailers, like so confusing. And I was, I was like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't even know if I would like it. And then the second I watched it, I couldn't turn away. The whole concept I thought was phenomenal. And again, visually so interesting. I have a, it feels like a confession to make. I don't know if Uh it really is. It's just something that I didn't mention to you before we started recording, which is about an hour ago or so, I got home from Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm so jealous because this might be my favorite Spider-Man of all the Spider-Mans I've ever seen. And now, unfortunately, having kids, you know, we can't really go see movies at their initial release. So we have to find time to uh, sneak that in there over the holidays. I'm not going to say anything about the movie yet because it's very fresh. This is we're recording on Thursday night. And I after what's been weeks, months of what have felt like very, very late evenings that I've stayed after at work, I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave right at the contractual end of my day (laughs) and not stay any longer than that. And I was able to make it to a 315 IMAX showing. And I'll just say that I had an incredible time and the movie is amazing. I'm very much looking forward to hearing what you and Rich and the kids think once you do get to see it. Yes. So we will have babysitting after Christmas. So we will, that's definitely on our list of things to do. Yeah. It's, it's worth it. (laughs) I won't say anything else. So you mentioned before that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was uh, the Disney Plus series that really stood out to you this year and that you had some feelings of being a little bit nervous when the MCU was making this shift into the Disney Plus side of things. So I guess that kind of leads me to what is it about that show that was successful for you? Is there something that you're looking for in an MCU series? And is that something different than what you look for in a movie? So my likes as far as movies, you know, reading anything, you know, where you can just dive into it a little bit and escape reality for a little while. It definitely varies. I like comedy. I like drama. But I really like complex characters, which is why I think I'm so drawn to Bucky. I just find his character so interesting. Everything he's been through, all of the different roles he's played, um, the different impacts he's had on the different characters that he comes into contact with in the Marvel Universe. And Sam, who, when he was initially introduced... Um, I'm not familiar at all with the comics. I know a lot of your listeners are, and a lot of your guests have been without knowing much about Falcon. 
when he was initially introduced, he seemed like as more of a, you know, a B list. Mm -hmm. He didn't seem like someone who was going to necessarily develop into a main character. So as his portion of the Marvel universe grew, I was so, so interested to see the two of them playing off of each other. Right. Cause you had these two very, very different people who are now have a lot of differences and commonalities coming together. And I was so interested to see how their relationship was going to develop and how that storyline was going to progress. And I saw Falcon and the Winter Soldier as more of a drama, whereas um, Hawkeye has, you know, more of that comedy piece to it, has that like family piece to it. It's not, you know, sit on your edge of your seat so serious all the time. So I thought that they did such a great job of really like getting your attention every episode. And every time it ended, you were like, I can't wait for next week. What is going to happen next? And I just thought that the way that they had their own separate stories, but their stories were combined. And then there was this overarching story you know, of like the social climate at the time and things Mm -hmm. like that. I thought that they just did a really good job with it. Yeah. And, you know, the way that you're speaking about it is giving me an appreciation for that show. And I've talked about how looking back on the run of Falcon and the Winter Soldier now, it's harder for me to think about each of those episodes in isolation. I definitely enjoyed the show. I really, really like Sam and Bucky. I'm obviously a huge Captain America fan. But looking back on it, that show didn't stand out to me as much as... uh, Certainly WandaVision, which is is my favorite, although Hawkeye is giving it a run for its money. But I've been looking forward to revisiting Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And the way that you're articulating this, I think, is really powerful. Like this idea of these two different characters who are finding these commonalities, despite the differences that they do have. And then that interpersonal drama kind of connecting to the larger story. In many ways, I feel like some of that is also resonant in Hawkeye, in terms of Clint and Kate finding some commonality between the two of them. So I think that's really interesting. Yes. And I loved the way that as you're kind of like bringing it back to Hawkeye, I love the way that characters who you think might have a smaller role at times have just as big a role of who you're seeing as being that central character. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was really interesting when I watched episode five last night, my one son turned to me and he goes, I thought this show was all about Hawkeye. He's like, it's really about her. It's really about Kate. Oh, wow. Right? So just that idea that he thought he was watching one thing. And as the show evolved, he saw that it wasn't necessarily what he thought it was going to be, which um, I will say, and I know this, we'll be talking about this a little bit more later on. Hawkeye was not necessarily the show I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because I full uh, transparency for our listeners. I've wanted you to come on the show for a while and we've kind of talked about it here and there, but it wasn't until Hawkeye started airing that we both were like, okay, we have to make this happen because it's very fitting that you're here to talk about the Hawkeye show because I know that Hawkeye is a character who has always resonated with you. So before we talk about episode five, this week's episode, tell us a little bit more about why you were a Hawkeye fan before this series and then how the series has maybe lived up to or not the expectations you had going in. So it's so interesting because when people talk about their favorite Marvel characters, 
no one, at least that I've come in contact with, no one ever mentions Hawkeye. No one ever mentions Clint. And I'm, oh, I've always been team Clint. I think he is this amazing underrated Marvel Avenger that people just don't quite understand. Mm. Clint so many times alludes to the character that he is, that everyone complains that he's not, he is not showy. He had is not narcissistic. He is not flashy. He's someone who's on the outskirts. He's behind the scenes. You know, he tells them, he's like, this is my job. I'm going to go out there. Right. He turns to Wanda um, in Age of Ultron. He's like, I'm going to go out there because this is my job. Yeah. When we're first introduced to him, he's the hawk in the nest during Thor who comes in to like keep an eye on things. Um during the original Avengers, you know, it's like, where's the hawk up in his nest? You know, mm-hmm. I asked you to keep an eye on this. And he's turns to fury and he's like, I see better from a distance. Kate tells him he has a problem with branding. He's like, my whole job was to be unnoticed. Yeah. Right. He was someone who was supposed to work in the shadows. And then all of a sudden we're introduced to Clint and he has this family. And it's like he just switches right from like working to being that person outside of work. He lights up when he sees Laura and his kids. There's hugging, there's kissing, there's Aunt Nat. So I feel like there's his work persona and then there's who he really is. And I feel like he does such a great job of separating those two things when you see him being Hawkeye that no one really understands who Hawkeye is. You know, he's he's an introvert who under the right circumstances will open up. At the end of Avengers, he's sitting around eating shawarma with everyone. That's true. Right? But then there's another time where there's a party and he's like, sorry guys, I've got to go. Because he checks his phone and I might be like reaching for this here, grasping at this, but I'm going to assume it's Laura trying to contact him or he has to go home to his kids. Yeah. So he's not someone who's always, you know, in the mix of it that you see, but he's someone whose presence is always felt. And I just, I don't know, that just really resonates with him. I just, I think Clint's an amazing character and extremely underrated. Yeah, I really appreciate hearing your thoughts on this because as as we've talked about, a lot of the guests I've had on the show have either since the series came out been kind of converts to to Hawkeye fandom or I've talked with people who are a fan of Hawkeye in the comics but have been very much like, ah, oh, well, I don't like him in the MCU or he or like the MCU hasn't done him justice. He's great in the comics, this or that. So I really appreciate this take that you have. And um, when you had texted me about this a, a while ago, I it really struck me when you said that being an introvert, right, sometimes it's misunderstood as being standoffish or uninterested, but they value privacy. They think before they speak, reserved with their emotions. I was like, wow. I was like, yes, that is Clint. Clint is all of those things. And that made me feel a little bit like, Maybe we were, speaking for myself, maybe I was judging him as not being as interesting as the other Avengers just because he didn't have some of those, as you said, kind of like uh, more showy qualities. So really appreciate hearing your perspective on that. Thanks. And, you know, I think back of like when Natasha was first introduced, she was very quiet. She was very reserved. You didn't have a good concept of her either until her character developed more. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a very great point. And and there's always been that similarity between those two characters, right? The two that fly under the radar a little bit more because of their training with S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and that established such a meaningful connection between the two of them as well. 
which I really love, not to get too far ahead of us, but I really love how the Hawkeye series has really shown in addition to telling us how much those two people really did connect. Going back to the series, you mentioned that it wasn't quite what you expected out of it. Expand on that a little bit. Um, So it's funny. I love trailers and sneak peeks of things. However, over, I would say the last probably like five to 10 years, companies have just gotten a little, in my opinion, have gotten a little too far with them that I'm always too nervous. I'm going to see too much. So outside of the initial Hawkeye trailer, I didn't watch any of them. I didn't watch them on Disney Day. I don't watch any of them with the sneak peeks for the episodes because I don't want to see what's coming. I was so excited when I saw the first trailer and it had this kind of Die Hard-esque mm-hmm. Christmas story going on. I was like, this is going to be amazing. I am so excited I heard happens to be one of my favorite Christmas movies. Um, It's set in New York. I've grown up going there my entire life for the holidays. So I was so excited about it. I didn't want to look more into it. So going into the show, I didn't quite know what to expect from the show. So it has pleasantly taken me by surprise with the twists and the turns that the storyline is going in. Yeah. And I'm with you on the sneak peeks for the next episode. I don't watch those each week just because it's like at this point, too, there's only one episode left. I'm like, I want to see all of it fresh next week. I don't need to watch the 30 second teaser. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about episode five of Hawkeye, the penultimate episode. Speaking in general terms, what did you think of it? I loved it. And I also thought it was the quickest 39 minutes ever. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how they did it, but all of a sudden it was over and the credits started rolling and I'm yelling at the TV that if, you know, you've got to be kidding me. How is it over already? There's only one episode left. What is going on? So yeah, in general, I loved it. I'm sure you will agree with me here. Yelena coming in at the end of last episode and having such a strong presence in this episode, I thought was phenomenal. I love the way they use music to support what's going on in the scenes that you're watching. And yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode and it left me so anxious for next week, which I don't understand how there's only one episode left. I know, right? Going into this one, I was thinking to myself, like, I've absolutely loved this series. I've talked about it every week. But if there was one thing that had me like a little bit just nervous was the fact that we've had a lot of these different moving pieces, a lot of balls being juggled in the air and kind of thinking, all right, with two episodes left, uh, like, is this all going to really land? Is there going to be a satisfying resolution? Because there's a lot of characters involved here and there's a a lot of plot mechanics to... um, to contend with. And I was so excited for the return of Yelena last week, but then I was like, wait, Yelena is yet another factor to throw into this already quite, quite busy show with only a couple episodes left in it. My feelings on episode five is that it really did a successful job of incorporating Yelena into it and not making it feel like it was overcrowded. And I feel like the moving pieces are coming together. There's still certainly a lot that needs to come to a resolution next week, but I feel pretty confident that it's all going to to pan out and man this episode like 
watching it, I was like, this one might be my favorite of the series or, or tied with WandaVision, depending on, on how next week goes. But it was just so awesome. I mean, to see the, the process of the blip, to see somebody get blipped and then immediately come back. That was so cool. That was so unique. Oh my gosh. I have that written down. Right. So, and the fact that she was consciously aware, you got to see a character who realized what was happening to her leaving and coming back because the only other time that we see this happen is with Monica Rambeau in WandaVision, but she falls asleep and wakes up. So it's not the same. Whereas Yelena is so consciously aware of something happening to her and coming back in the world. She has this sense that everything around her is very different. I thought that was an amazing way to start and kind of, um, just going off of what you were speaking, initially the series felt like lots of branches breaking off Mm -hmm. into these different storylines, these different um, antagonists, like where are we going with the story? But I almost feel like we're bridging back down into something where everything is coming together. It is somehow all coming back to a general story arc as opposed to a bunch of different things going on, that there is this overall scheme to the series. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I was speaking with uh, my colleague Kevin at work today, who's been on the show a couple of times, and he too is kind of talking about like, man, are they going to be able to stick this landing here? Like, there's so much stuff going on with this with the show. And then we were talking about it and we kind of like, just come to the realization that these MCU series don't abide by the rules of a regular TV series where not everything does need to be wrapped up neatly in a bow because a lot of times they are just sort of like planting seeds or they're setting up the beginnings of a thread to something that will have a role in this larger universe. And the fact that everything's connected to that larger universe definitely has an impact on on how these series go. And it's something that I feel like when I catch myself being like, well, are they going to be able to like, you know, dot every I and cross every T? Like, no, they're not going to. And I'm just going to kind of surrender to it. One of the things that made me think of when you were sharing that is that the cold opens, the opening scenes of episodes one, three and five have not been about Clint. And to the point that your son made, right, like it almost feels like, well, where's Clint in all of this? And I do think that in this last episode, I think we're getting there. I think we're getting back to kind of this essence of Clint's identity story. And what it took me a little bit of time to to kind of figure out, or at least this is my interpretation of it, is that in the story of these other people, right? Episode one, the cold open obviously starts with Kate. Kate's been a huge part of the show. Episode three, the cold open is on Maya. Episode five, it's on Yelena. These stories about these other people we see reflections of Clint's story in them. And Clint has always had this like really cool relationship with younger women specifically, right? You mentioned his kind of mentorship moment to Wanda, step out that door, you're an Avenger. Even with Natasha, who I don't know if canonically she's younger than him, but we have this backstory of how he kind of brought her into the fold of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so I think it's uh, his own daughter, Lila, that relationship has been really strong. So I think it's kind of cool to see this pattern and to think about what the stories of these other people really kind of um, the light that they can shed on his character as well. And I think touching on that a little bit, it shows how relationships with other people, whether directly or indirectly kind of shape us and shape them as a result. Um, 
like you were touching on it, um, Kate, episode one opening, she sees him, right, during the Battle of New York. Um, Maya, episode three, you see how her life was touched by him and how that may have influenced the path that she took. Yeah. Yelena, you see opening and you know that there's already a connection there had you seen Black Widow, which was an amazing movie, and how Clint may have indirectly affected the path that she now takes. Yeah, and I I think this idea of how these people are connected and the impact that Clint has had on them, uh, this idea of the path that people take and how you had mentioned this in one of uh, one of our texts about how Maya and Kate seem to have these kind of um, complementary s- stories in a way about having a similar backstory, but then deciding to go on a different path. And I think we're very much seeing that as an established theme here. If we're going to talk about the big ideas that have really come out of this show, you know, I was looking at this question of, well, like, who is Hawkeye? What does it mean to be Hawkeye? What does it mean to be Clint Barton? But then also, like, the Hawkeye mantle, what is that all about? And I think you spoke to that really nicely about this idea of, like, watching from a distance, right, and being in the nest and kind of keeping to himself and the reserved emotions. And then that also kind of relates to this question that I've been interested before of, like, what? well, what does it really mean to be an Avenger? What does it mean to be a superhero? And this episode really touched on a lot of those questions, and I'm, I'm excited to dig into some of those moments a little bit more, especially as it pertains to Clint, Yelena, Maya, Kate, all of these people who have very similar things uh, in who they are. And then there's th- these points of divergence as well. It's really cool. Absolutely. Just to show how um, different experiences shape our lives and the lives of those around us. Absolutely. So in thinking about this episode, there's there's really a lot of scenes that connect to this larger idea of speaking to what it means to be an Avenger and who Hawkeye is. This idea of part of being a superhero is loss. Loss is a really, really big part. He says this in last week's episode about a game of managing loss when you do what, what I do. Uh, again, to, to use your language of how he thinks of it as a job. So we're seeing a lot of the the commonality between these characters and how they've experienced loss and then have kind of made different decisions from there. So I think perhaps like the best place to start might be with Yelena because the episode opens on her. So you mentioned already that I you knew I was going to agree with you about having excitement over her in this episode. And just as like a big fangirl of Yelena, I was so, so, so into this episode and every scene that she was in. And it opens with this scene, a cold open, quite literally with this winter landscape and like hearing the lines from the Black Widow movie and the whistle being echoed the Black Widow score, which I absolutely love. It just immediately made me very emotional. And that whole opening scene was just so cinematic in the way that it was shot. It really felt like a movie. And so I kept thinking like, when are we just going to get a Yelena movie? I would absolutely watch like a whole two and a half hour, any any part of her story, whether it's this part where she's helping to free widows or whatever it might be. I was I just, just thinking that if there was something with the freeing of the widows, like the path that she goes on for however long that that's evolving for her, I think that would be such a, an amazing counter story to what she went through while she was a widow. So I'll pitch that to Marvel. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, right. If you're listening, Marvel people. But yeah, I mean, what did you think of this opening scene? What did this reveal to us about Yelena's character that we didn't necessarily know before? I thought, like you said, it was very cinematic. It almost felt like they pulled a scene from a movie and clipped it in as like a background story. But we yeah. know that that's not what it was. Although that kind of is what it was, right? Because it's 2018, she blips, and then all of a sudden it's 2023. I thought seeing the evolution of Yelena's character, of someone who was very childlike in Black Widow, was so interesting because she says to Natasha she could never make decisions for herself before. She couldn't pick what she wore. She couldn't pick what she eat, you know, how she did things. So she had a very childlike sensibility, although she was a trained weapon Yeah. in Black Widow into someone who is now going around trying to save as many people as she can, you know, almost a pseudo Avenger, if you will. I yeah. thought that was amazing. But then if you know the background of that movie, you know what happens or her sentiments towards Clint when she finds out Natasha's fate when she comes back from the blip. So I thought that left a, such an interesting seed for thought of you were like, oh, this is how she's going to be introduced into this sitcom. You know, we saw where she was, what happened. We know what happened to Natasha, Black Widow. And then at the end of the Um, episode to find out that this was an assignment. I thought that was such an interesting twist on her character. Yeah, I think we're seeing it's amazing how effective this episode was at giving us so much Yelena story in a series that is not actually about Yelena, right? Like It's about Clint and Kate, but it did such a good job, in my opinion, of really showing these different to, to borrow a line from Kate's mom, Eleanor, in this episode, like the different winds that the path might take, right? It's because this opening scene is showing this moment in her life, of this, this moment of heroism, as you said, right? Although there's a hint of darkness there, too. When one of the widows there asks about her sister and makes a joke about, you're going to be reunited and you're going to live your sex in the city fantasy in New York, she, like, doesn't play into that or laugh or, like, show that child, that childlike wonder or that sense of humor that we see even later in the episode she excuses herself to the bathroom and like it's a really beautiful moment that parallels Natasha at the beginning of the Black Widow movie when she is looking in the mirror and she's like just like looking hard at herself in the mirror and then like goes to put water on her hands and that's when the dusting happens so I'm really curious about that and that's where I'm like I really do think there is more story to build out here about Yelena and what it was that she was feeling when she was going from, you know, having been brainwashed under this mind control to now on this path of heroism, of course, then only to be blipped. And of course, you know, you know, I'm a huge Black Widow fan. So I got really emotional when she's immediately like, I need to find Natasha. I need to tell her I'm okay. Oof. To go straight to the credits was so powerful. But it really struck me like how how tragic her story really is. She's doing these acts of, of heroism and she has these plans for the future of being reunited with her sister. And then we find out that she goes right back to killing for hire in like this vicious cycle. It's so, it's so tragic. 
It's so tragic. And I think it speaks to that idea of loss that's overarching in Hawkeye, right? So we, had you seen the movie, understand some of Yelena's background from Black Widow. And then we see her kind of coming of age with Natasha rescuing her and trying to help her and now her trying to help the widows. And it was interesting. I was kind of wondering if there was almost a foreshadowing because when she's asked about Natasha, it's a little awkward. Yeah. As if is as if there was something there or not there, depending on how you want to look at it, that it's not the relationship she wanted it to be or that Natasha wasn't giving her what she was looking for out of, um, you know, searching for family. It just, when she excuses herself to the bathroom, the look on her face, there's, there's a sense of loss there. Yeah. And then she blips and she comes back and you know that she really ends up experiencing that loss firsthand. Yeah. I, I, there's, there's really something there. And of course, Florence Pugh is such an amazing actor. So you really can read into what she's doing with her, with her facial expressions and everything. So I wonder if that's something that, you know, obviously she's a a tremendous movie star. She is so charismatic and has been so successful even in her young age that I certainly think that that Florence Pugh could carry uh, an MCU movie if they wanted to do a Yelena movie or two or more uh, Marvel people. I'm sure we, we're all here for it. Um, but I don't I don't know what they're going to do with her character moving forward. I just know that I, I hope to see hope to see more of her. And I liked how, like you said, it, it really felt lifted out of a movie because we saw this Yelena scene before even the previously on, which really just kind of hit home how how powerful it was. And what an important place it had within the story because of the way it opened. And I mean, if you want to talk about charismatic, I'm sure we'll touch on it more later, but the dinner scene with Kate with the box macaroni just made me love Yelena that much more. Oh my gosh. Yes. While we're on the Yelena topic, we'll, we'll kind of do the Yelena scenes together to discuss her and, and her path uh, before circling back to, to Kate and Clint. But that, I mean, their banter was so good. There were so many good one-liners in that in that scene. And just for someone who always comes across as so serious, so stoic, just very flat affect, every time she broke into a smile or a chuckle, I found myself smiling and chuckling along with her. And I was like, this is just, is exactly what I was, look- what I didn't realize I wanted and needed from her character. Yeah. Yeah, because we got the hints in Black Widow that she could be funny, but of course, that was a very different time in her life too, where she had literally just kind of woken up from her from her mind control. Um, one of the things that's remained consistent is like Florence Pugh does such a good job of delivering those moments where she kind of laughs or or makes a little joke in a way that it feels so authentic to the point that it almost seems like it, it could part of it could be improv and I don't know if it is or not, but it just feels so like a real conversation you're having with somebody and it just puts you right there. And the fact that, you know, that scene where they're sitting together at the apartment and just talking goes on for a while. It's, it's broken up by another mini scene with Clint, but it's a long time to devote to just two people at a table talking to each other back and forth, but it was so dynamic. I mean, it, it felt to me just as dynamic as watching a, a fight scene or something like that because it said so much about who each of them are. Did you get the sense that watching the back and forth between Yelena and Kate? I love Kate. I think her character is amazing. 
I love the way it's evolving, but the amount that she is naive to this entire Mm. superhero Avenger idea when she's like, oh, wait, you're Natasha's sister? I'm so glad I didn't kill you. And Elena's like, ha, 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 yes, okay, sure. Sure, little girl, like you were going to kill me. This idea that she still doesn't quite grasp things that seems so obvious to other people, it just, I thought, you know, it really highlighted that she she is young and she doesn't really quite know still what she's trying to get herself into. I think that rings very true. And I've been attributing a lot of Kate's naivete, as you say, to her age and, you know, to her kind of like uh, subordinate position to Clint in the scenes we have of the two of them together. But now here comes Yelena and like, yes, Yelena is a trained assassin, you know, with charisma for days and confidence for days. But Yelena is probably only about the same age. I don't think Yelena is meant to be much older than Kate. And Yelena lost five years of her life in the blip. So what we see here is like even paired with somebody who is her age, there is this um, this innocence to Kate and this lack of understanding to Kate. And I thought it was really cool to have her paired with Yelena because not only am I excited for the two of them kind of taking on the next generation of Hawkeye and and Black Widow in a way, but also because it was it was good to see more of that revealed in in relationship to somebody not Clint or not you know her mom somebody who could potentially be more of a peer and somebody who like her you know has has experienced loss although we know that Kate certainly has had a much more you know, privileged up upbringing um, than than Yelena certainly. The other thing I I did really like about the dynamic between the two of them that that you speak to here in this conversation about heroism and and being an Avenger is this fact that in the last episode when Clint revealed that he was Ronan, Kate didn't really have much of a reaction to that. It didn't seem like that really changed her opinion of him at all. She's kind of like, well, you know, we all make mistakes. But now you have somebody else who is reframing it to her and making her it, it, making her confront it a little bit more about the seriousness of the pain that he has caused. And I think it's really important that Yelena is asking her some of the questions that she's asking because I think this is how Kate really needs to to learn and get a little bit more understanding, as you said, of this world that she is so interested in getting herself into. So I, one of the things that I loved about the scene between the two of them is the way that they're sitting across the table from each other, have sharing a meal, if you will. And it's almost like they're mirroring each other, but more so to shine a light on the things that they don't see in mm. front of themselves. Mm. So Kate isn't seeing the other side of Clint. Yelena isn't seeing it as, well, who would have hired you to kill an Avenger, right? Like, so they're reflecting things back on each other and they're sitting across the table from each other and they're kind of, you know, maybe Yelena's not so uneasy about Kate, but Kate's a little uneasy about Yelena. Sure. um, To kind of, throw things back on each other that the other might not be thinking about that. I, I don't know when I stop and think about the scene and the way they're like looking at each other, you know, it's this casual setting, you know, they're sharing a meal. They, it's like they're having a conversation and it's like fun and light until it's not all of a sudden. Yeah. And they point out these like 
glaring things that, you know, when you're on the outside looking in, you can see it. But when you're in the moment, these two individuals don't see it. And then they each really, you learn by the end of the episode that they each took away something from having that sit down. Very much so. Yeah, I love this point that you're making. And especially this idea that it goes from being lighthearted and fun until all of a sudden it's not. And again, I think Florence Pugh is just so good at doing that, where one second you're laughing and chuckling with her and she's so cute and she's like laughing about Rudolph. I I love when she's just like, yeah, Rudolph, he's so weird. (laughs) It's great. It's great. And oh, when she mentions her her dad, Alexi, like my dad says it's good for you to eat the food or whatever. Like you only have one fork. It's, It's just so good. Um, but yes. then it, it turns so serious so fast. Yeah, some of the moments that that uh, some of the lines that they say that reflect what you're talking about. She asks, Yelena asks Kate, why do you risk your life for him? Why has everyone forgiven him for his past? And again, I think this is an important mirror to be held up to Kate, an important question for Kate to have to confront. And Kate says he saved the world. And Yelena says, no, my sister saved the world. Natasha Romanoff saved the world. And as you mentioned, Kate, that that's when Kate is like, oh, I'm glad I didn't kill you. And she's just like, you're so funny, Kate Bishop, <laughs> which is great. Right. And it's so funny because so then I made this connection. I'm not sure if you probably did, too. So Yelena is like, you know, how has everyone forgiven his past? And there's a moment in. I believe it's the Avengers movie where Black Widow talks about her ledger being full of red. Yeah but Clint saw something in her, right? So he was willing to forgive her past. Clint's past is just more in the present, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a great point. I just find so many commonalities between Clint and Natasha, which might just, you know, lead into why they had such a close relationship. I wasn't specifically thinking of that moment in Avengers where she talks about the ledger, but I I think that's a really good connection to make here that the same grace that Clint showed to Natasha and the same second chance that Clint showed to Natasha, Yelena is not really able to see with regard to Clint, uh, at least not yet, which of course, I mean, it's the loss is very close to home for her. That's her sister. And and as she says, like, no, my sister saved the world. Right. Uh, So it's, it's very, it's very personal for her in this moment, but that that is interesting to think about if maybe she could get to a place where she can kind of understand like, oh, okay, this is the guy who gave my sister this second chance. My sister also had a complicated history. My sister was also responsible for killing people. Another thing that I thought was so interesting was Yelena um, says to Kate, you know, Avenger, what does this word even mean? And I immediately obviously thought of the podcast. When, <laughs> Thank you. Know, you. you talk about like, what does it mean to be Hawkeye? What does yeah. it mean to, you know, have experienced these things? And I was like, yes, Elena, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I I also was really excited to hear her say that line um, because that's what we're interrogating, right? And I love that the MCU has begun to interrogate that question more and more explicitly, right? Uh, what is it? What is the difference between a hero and then someone who is a villain? Is it that they end up making one choice that leads them down a path that, not so great is it like Clint's going to say later in the episode is it something that they uh they feel this they experience loss they feel this rage and then they can become manipulated by other people and now they're not a hero anymore or they can't be a hero so I I do think it's a really interesting question I like how she says um that the word holds so much power 
you call him a hero no matter what he does. And Kate says, uh, in terms of like what it means to be a hero, she says it means that when you choose to spend your life trying to help people, there are things you're going to lose, collateral damage. And of course, she says, my sister, you know, is she collateral damage? And of course, like when you bring it down to that personal level, it's, it's, it's hard to argue against that. But I do think it's important that as much as we're rooting for Clint here and we see the goodness in Clint and he's hanging out with a dog and wearing an ugly sweater and, and, and you know, we're rooting for him. It's important for Kate, I think, to be sitting across from somebody who asks her, hey, how long have you really known this guy? Right. To your point uh, that she's putting things in a way that Kate hasn't thought about them. As you said as well, Kate then also gets Yelena thinking about, huh, who is it that hired her? Um, I also like the line when Kate says he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but he is good. I love that line. I think that highlights the idea that when you idolize someone or when you have heroes, that doesn't mean that they're perfect. Everyone has flaws. And I think that kind of goes back to her finally really looking at him more objectively as opposed to this amazing impact he had when she was so young. And then only to know him from such a distance that she didn't know the ins and outs of who he was and what he did and what he'd been through. Yeah. And I like Yelena's retort there too, when she says, however he convinced you about who he is or how many people think or call him a hero, the truth is it doesn't matter. We're defined by what we do, not by nice words. And again, uh, that got me thinking too about who are we when the way that we see ourselves comes into comes into conflict with how others see us. This is a question that I've been interested in in these superhero stories because it comes up a lot. And I loved hearing her say that we're defined by what we do, not by the nice words, right? Defined by those choices that we make by our actions. I loved that she talked about that and that her and Kate had this back and forth about it. It made me think of um, Captain America, Steve Rogers, when they're discussing the Sokovia Accords mm. and he... I don't remember exactly what he said, but basically he says, you know, we do the best we can in the moment and we learn from our mistakes because Wanda was so destroyed over the damage she had caused and they saw her as a monster. And he was like, listen, we all make mistakes. He's like, we're trying to do the best we can take that. Now we have to move past it. We have to grow. You're not going to make the same mistake again. You're still trying to, you know, be good, do good and help people. And I think that 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 really resonated with me when Yelena was talking about, like, you know, it's your actions. Um, And Kate was trying to say, yes, it is the actions, but they were coming at it from two different angles. Oh, man, what a great scene. And and what what an amazing pair of characters to put with each other. I I really, really hope that we see more of Kate and Yelena moving forward in the MCU as, like I said, kind of our next generation Hawkeye and Black Widow, but they were just also just so wonderful playing off of each other because you, you had Florence Pugh's charisma and the jokes, but also the seriousness and the, that's the word that I'm looking for, 
sinister, right? Sinister, almost like menacing. Menacing. That's it. That's the word I was looking for. So she can play both of those really, really well. And I think that Haley Steinfeld as Kate played a really great job of, of showing that intimidation, you know, throwing a couple of little jokes in here in there, uh, here and there too. Like, oh, that's such a Russian thing to say <laughs> or whatever, whatever. I thought she held her own fairly well yeah. against a, you know, trained assassin with her her banter and rhetoric for a little while, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Like it's box macaroni and cheese. It's delicious. <laughs> so good. Um, so good. Also, let's talk about Yelena for a second, making fun of her sister for being a poser. But this is the second time in as many episodes that Yelena has dramatically fallen out of a window <laughs> or off of a building. So... I know we're talking about episode five, but <laughs> Yelena being a poser, we're watching episode four and my one son and I, she does Natasha's like stance at one point really quick when she's fighting on the rooftop with Clint. <laughs> and all I say is poser. And my son yells, that's Yelena. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and I think it's so funny for someone who, you know, they're supposed to fly under the radar, right? Like the widows, they're supposed to blend in. And, you know, she sits down and she has this conversation. She could have just as easily walked out the front door. No, she had to be all dramatic, almost to just show Kate, like, I'm very powerful. Yeah. I am very skilled. And the way she falls out the window, I mean, can we just talk about how beautiful it is? She just leans back. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. And I, if I were Kate, I would be feeling all sorts of like, oh, my God, what just happened? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like to think in my heart that some of the dramatics that Yelena has now has now started to employ in her fighting and uh, <laughs> is is a bit of an homage to her sister that <laughs> in, in her in her memory. I would like to think the same. <laughs> Um, so before we talk about Clint and the Ronin stuff in this episode, I had one more note about Kate uh, as, as we're talking about her and how she held her own in that scene with, with Yelena. She has a low moment before this conversation when she comes home to her mom and her mom is, 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 you know, being the caretaker to her and, uh, her mom asked her, you know, does Clint think you're a superhero? And she says, no, I don't either. Because Clint has rejected her at this point at the end of the last episode saying we're not partners. And uh, I think that the conversation with her mom is important, too. When she says, I thought I could do anything. I really thought I could be one of them. So, again, this idea of being a hero, being an Avenger. And that's when her mom says, sometimes the past we're on wind in ways we never would have expected. And we keep moving forward. So, to me, watching the emotional scene with the mom and getting a little bit more into where Kate is at emotionally right now, it made me feel like this is going to be all the more heartbreaking when we find out that the mom is up to no good. (laughs) Oh, that the mom's the ultimate bad guy, unfortunately. Did you get the sense that the things Eleanor was saying to Kate, she was almost saying to herself, like I go back to um, what you do might look a little different than you dreamed of as a child. Um, sometimes the paths we're on, they wind around in ways we never expected. All you can do is keep moving forward because she seems like such a different woman than when we are first introduced to her in episode one. I felt like she was almost not only speaking to Kate, but speaking of her own experience. 
I think that's a really, really interesting idea. And I think you're onto something because I think as we find out more next week as to what the heck she really is up to, and I think at this point it's fairly obvious, at least it's my interpretation, that she set Jack up. And that's awful uh, <laughs> because in the episode before, it seemed like they they genuinely had some real love between the two of them. Who knows? Um, but oh, yeah, I, I felt like he was always just an easy target. She kept close by in case she needed like some like a fall guy. Because mm. he seems naive in certain ways that Kate seems naive. Oh, he does very much. And his line when he was like, what's this all about? I never worked a day in my life. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. And he seems far too calm. Like, I have all the money in the world. It's not a problem. I'll be home by dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we keep we meaning uh, myself and uh, Trey and Jude on their podcast. We just keep calling him a doofus. Like, he's <laughs> such a doofus, like such a dummy. Um, but yeah, I think as more unfolds about what Eleanor has been up to and maybe how she got into this life of working with Kingpin and hiring people to kill Avengers, I think you're absolutely right that you're onto something here with the lines that she's saying to Kate here are also revealing a lot about her and how she thinks about herself. And I think we're going to find out that she too probably got involved in this world in a way, maybe from one decision or one moment of loss or one moment of weakness. And then things have kind of gotten, gotten out of control for her. So I'm, I'm interested to see exactly where that goes. Oh, I, I can't wait for next week after the way this week ended. There's a couple of other lingering things going on. Uh, we spent some time on Yelena, on Kate, but there is, of course, our guy Clint. And in this episode, there's a few big moments with him. The first one that I want to talk about is when he visits the Battle of New York Memorial. Man, that was that was heavy. That was, I'm not going to lie, like I had all the feels during that moment, especially when he turns off his hearing aid yeah. so that he can tune out the world around him to just really be in the moment with Natasha. I just, cause it's like, it's the only memorial of her, right? They didn't, they weren't able to, to have a final goodbye, a final send off. There's nowhere to visit her. So why not visit her in a place that they both stood side by side? It's so beautiful and touching. I, I was thinking about that, though. So we see at the end of Black Widow in the credit scene that there is like a, a gravestone that's somewhere in Ohio that I'm guessing Yelena was responsible for putting up. So I wonder the extent to which Clint would even know about that. I'm going to think probably not. I did like that we learned in this episode that Clint knows who Yelena is when Kate says her sister and, and he goes, oh, Yelena. So I really liked that because that, again, shows that Clint and Kate... Uh, excuse me, Clint and Natasha did have a type of relationship where she opened up about that to him. And I like this idea that the other the other guys like Bruce and Steve, they don't know if she has a family. Steve says, yeah, we were her family, but that Clint always knew that that she had this sister and presumably, you know, her dad and her mom and all of that. And that presumably Clint knew about what happened during the events of the Black Widow movie. Um, that makes me happy. Yes, and I think that just reinforces the relationship that certain people understood the depth of, but others don't, you know, his daughter, you know, says, you know, she was your best friend. It's okay. You know, Laura talks about Nat. So there were people who, who knew and they did let in to their worlds, but yeah. there were other people that they didn't. 
I love the line that he says when he's when he's speaking to her at the memorial. I do my best every day to earn what you gave me. Oof, that really hit. Oh, because he didn't he didn't think he was deserving. Yeah. And she she felt that she owed her life to him and he she felt he had more to go back to than she did. I just oh, that ultimate sacrifice, right? Yeah, and I think it speaks to this, you know, when when the first episode of Hawkeye, we see we see Clint sitting there watching Rogers the musical and getting emotional when he <laughs> sees that depiction of of Natasha. Understandably so, even though Rogers the musical was really delightful. But the the fact that he would have a lot of trauma over that, like he he would have survivors guilt here, right? He would understand that in making the sacrifice she did, he she did give him this extra chance at having this life with his family and the line of and him saying do my best every day to earn it is just so powerful and speaks to who he is and speaks to his goodness that like yes he has a dark past as well but he's doing everything he can in the present to make the choices that earn it and then of course that's when he says i miss you and i'm sorry for what i'm about to do and puts his hood up very dramatically (laughs) a lot of dramatic moments here (laughs) Love it. Absolutely love it. And I think it speaks to the underlying um, traits of his character Mm -hmm. that inherently he doesn't feel he's deserving, but he consciously decides to wake up every morning and make a choice. That's evidence that proves that he is a hero using the same criteria that Yelena set up about like the things that we do as opposed to just the nice words. Of course, Yelena just doesn't see it from the same, from the same perspective. And again, it all depends on, you know, where we're getting our information from. Right. So speaking of information, Clint calls Laura and we've talked about this already about how wonderful the partnership between Laura and Clint is. This is a a scene just to set the scene for a minute. She is saying to him, you don't you didn't call me asking for permission. You don't need it from me. I trust your judgment. Do what you need to do. I'll I'll understand more than anyone else ever could. Oof. What did you make of this? So so what do you think of this relationship between Laura and Clint? And what have you have you liked the direction that they've gone in with making Laura a little bit more involved in the show? I love that Laura is more prevalent. I absolutely love her character. I love the actress. Um, I think it just supports what I've thought all along that they are a true partnership. Yeah. She doesn't just know that he's an Avenger. She knows everything. She is there to support him in any way possible. She knows what he is trying to do day in and day out. And it just, you know, there was that question of, at the beginning of the series with, you know, did she know about the Ronin? Did she know about everything he did while he was gone, while they were gone? And I truly believed that she did. And then you found out that she knew about the suits and the track suits. And I think it just really highlights what an amazing support system he has in his family. Yeah. Because even his kids, his kids are like, Oh, it's dad. Oh, dad's at work. Like he, he wasn't at work. He took his kids to New York city over the holidays to spend some like, you know, dad time with them, sends them home to mom because there's something he needs to take care of. He's not necessarily acting as an Avenger right now, but they all allude to him that he's working. 
Like they, they get what he does. Yeah. Whether or not the kids know about Ronan, that's a different story, but they know that he's trying to fix something. He's trying to help someone. So they do have a concept of what his job is. Even his youngest son who can't be more than, I mean, how, how old can his youngest son be like seven? I guess maybe Laura is pregnant during age of Ultron, which is what, like 2014, 2015. This is supposed to be 2023. Three, but the blip was 2018. So he lost five years. Yeah. He would have lost five years. Oh, wait. No, so that would make him younger. That would make All him right, younger. So let's say he's around five, but even he says it's okay if he can't make it home for Christmas. Yeah. So I think I think Laura is constantly a reminder of the support he has outside of what he does. And she tries to, I hate to use the same analogy. I think she's also a mirror to him. Like mm-hmm. she tells him she trusts him. She tells him that no one will understand the way she does. She knows who he is, even when he doesn't know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, that's really lovely. And I I think the amount of support that they have for each other in this relationship and the amount of support that this family has for each other is is really aspirational. It's really, really lovely. And it's so nice to see that here is this Avenger who is capable of maintaining and nurturing such a such a powerful familial relationship despite everything that he's involved with. Mav, who's been a guest on the show a couple of times, he actually texted me with a theory that he has about Laura, but I'll save that for our thoughts on on next week. Clint also comes face to face with Maya in this episode. So after it's it's really kind of lovely to to see too how he goes to Nat's memorial and says, you know, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do. He calls Laura and he's not asking for permission, but he's getting that validation from her. I trust you. I understand. And then he dons the the Ronin suit again and goes to confront Maya. I love how he really, really easily takes out the tracksuit guys. And just also a quick shout out to the tracksuit guys who are driving in the van and listening to the Run DMC song and talking about all of the iconic tracksuits in pop culture. That was amazing. Absolutely loved it. I loved that great little plug. <laughs> it was so good. Like they were like the Royal Tenenbaums. That was great. And actually, <laughs> the um, <laughs> the uh, Run DMC, the Christmas and Hollis song. That that's in Die Hard too, right? Yes. Yeah, it was a great moment. And the arrow. We've seen lots of trick arrows in the in the series. The fact that this arrow. But we has didn't a see the note one yet. <laughs> yeah. Were you so excited about a new trick arrow? Because. <laughs> So I, cool. I listened to last week's podcast and then there was a new trick arrow and I was like, they're <laughs> going to be so happy about that. Yeah. Trick arrow with a compartment for passing notes was just awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, the tracksuit guys are, are just so funny. Um, but so he can easily take them out and then he comes face to face with Maya and that fight scene I thought looked really great. And he when he takes off the hood and he's like, I wanted you to see my face and she thinks that he's going to kill her and he says no, but if you come after my family, it'll be the last thing you do. And he says to her, you and I, we're the same. It's really cool how he is recognizing the similarity, the common ground that these two people do have. And and she's just like, no, you're a monster. And he says, we're weapons. Going back to that language from last week of thinking of himself as a weapon. When you're filled with rage, it makes you blind. You can be used. You can be manipulated. Trust me, I know. So when he was talking about this, like I couldn't help but think about, yes, this is something that he and Maya have in common, but this is also something that Yelena has in common as well. Yes, I totally thought that as well. And it's just so, you know, again, like, 
everything about this show just makes me love Clint more and more because to to see just how just how hard that would be for him to have done so many things in his life that have saved so many people and have done so much for the greater good and to wake up every day and make that choice and to have the love and the support from this family but to maybe feel like he doesn't necessarily deserve it and to see himself not as a hero but as a weapon as somebody who's been used and it does make me wonder the extent to which he sees even the way that he got involved with the Avengers as like being used in a certain type of way, right? So certainly not in the way that Ronan, um, you know, became a contract killer, but even working for S.H.I.E.L.D., right? He talks in the last episode about being pointed at the right people to go kill and even working for S.H.I.E.L.D. that, you know, and we know that S.H.I.E.L.D. is a, a little bit sketchy in its in its history as well. And the fact that he was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and being being tasked with eliminating enemies just because he was told those are the bad guys so for him to feel this feeling of being a weapon is just so so powerful yes and i think it goes back to that idea of like what does it mean to be hawkeye what does it mean to be an avenger you know kate not fully understanding what it is she's getting herself into because he's pointed in the right direction but are you always pointed in the right direction by the right people if the wrong people are pointing you in their right direction you know, you have to have a moral compass that goes along with this. And there's just so many different facets to being this quote unquote superhero that Kate's always wanted to be that she's still so naive to and still really has to thoroughly grasp the decision that she says she's understand, she understands that she is making. Yeah. And I wonder the extent to which we will we will see some more of that in, in our next episode or not. We do only have the one left. I will say this, for all of Kate's naivete and the fact that she is still learning and still has much to understand, there are some things that she does that are very clever in a way that I don't think Clint would have thought of these things, such as in this episode, the Uber driver getaway plan, which I thought was... Just call me Tabitha. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so good, right? <laughs> I was like, welcome to the 21st century of getaway cars. Yep. It was really clever. And you have to give her credit. She is slowly evolving her skills to be more world ready, shall we say. Right. So she, you know, kind of saved Clint yeah. in the car lot. So she has amazing skills, amazing abilities. She is slowly learning how to use them in the real world outside of all these closed contexts that she's been trained in. Yes. Yes, very much so. And she can bring to the table this kind of like thinking on her feet, the way that she carried the guy's groceries last week or the Uber driver thing this week. So it'll be cool to see uh, a younger generation of Avenger bringing in some of those, uh, th some of those touches. And I think it's interesting that to me draws such a stark contrast to what Hawkeye was and maybe what Hawkeye's becoming. So Clint mm. always talks about, you know, he was supposed to blend in. He was supposed to be in the shadows and Kate's just out there. Great She's point. just out there and loving it and sees nothing wrong with it. And so far it's kind of working for her. And she's on board with getting some new suits from the LARPers. <laughs> Which... I am so excited these to debut next episode <laughs> yeah what do you think of grills i love grills i think he's just i think he's so sweet and endearing and initially he came off as like this 
in your face kind of like fangirling over Hawkeye. Yeah. But he's really just like this down to earth guy who wants to help if he can. And if he can, cool. And if he can't, no big deal. You know, he's taking care of pizza dog, who offers Clint his couch. He's like, no, you're not staying in a hotel on Christmas. <laughs> he's like, stay here. And Clint actually takes him up on the offer, which I thought was amazing um, for someone who likes his privacy. So yeah, I really, I like, I like how he's still around. I do too. And Kate said it best that Grills is cool. He can cook. He can LARP. He can put out fires. Yeah, I I very much like him. Uh, (laughs) The other big thing from this episode that we haven't touched on just yet. Well, you you mentioned how after that conversation, Kate and Yelena, they both walk away from it with kind of a, a little bit of a new perspective. And Yelena is is prompted to follow Eleanor or or she's prompted to find out who it is who hired her. The fact that she goes and follows Eleanor and then texts Kate Bishop about it was really funny to me. Uh, Of course, she has Kate Bishop's number. We know she knows everything about Kate Bishop. But there was almost like a a, like a sweetness, like a respect out of it. Yeah, like I listened to you. I took your advice. Yeah. Now, were you familiar with Kingpin? Did you watch Daredevil? I did watch Daredevil. And he's also in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yes. So, yes, I am familiar with Kingpin. And every time, you know, they talked about the uncle and the big guy, it's like, who could this possibly be? But what I want to understand is Clint's connection to him. Yeah. Because Clint and Laura seem very nervous about him being involved. And I think he has something to do with the Rolex. It's, it's got to be, right? Right. It has to. And I mean, you know, I know we shouldn't like male, female, all these types of things, but the Rolex looked like a man's watch. Big. Yeah. Like chunky. I, I know that there was people saying like, maybe it could have been Laura's. Maybe it somehow is tied to her, but I don't know. Like, I'm very curious to see where this is going. And the fact that he's now introduced on the second to last episode and there's only one episode left. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm upset about it. I'm just saying I'm upset about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To see, is this storyline going to now bring this in? Is it going to just be alluded to? Is it going to just kind of hang in the background somewhere? I'm very curious to see how we wrap up this season. Definitely. Not this whole story. I don't really expect the whole thing to be tied up in a neat little bow, but how this season is going to end. Yeah, definitely. I I feel like it's probably safe to say that the Maya character and whatever's going on with her and the tracksuit guy, Kazi, who it seems like maybe Maya is suspicious of now, thinking that maybe he he informed uh, Ronan about her dad and was responsible. Like, there's definitely stuff there. And I think Maya is really interesting. But I'm thinking that a lot of that Maya stuff will continue to that this is really a launching pad for her series and that that stuff will really develop there our introduction and i would guess that it's spinning off from here yeah but i'm curious the extent to which kingpin is going to be more of part of her story but as you said it seems really really personal to clint and laura clint is an avenger like why the heck is he so scared of kingpin you know what i mean like i know kingpin's scary but even still it feels like there's some personal connection here and there's this personal connection with the watch the theory i do like the nick fury theory about the watch i don't know if if that Mm. there's any ground to that but 
Um, but there's certainly some personal connection with what's going on with the watch and with Kingpin. And I'm excited to see that. And I'm also feeling confident in terms of the wrap up next week with the fact that, okay, if the Kingpin thing is what connects Eleanor into this and the Kingpin thing is what's so personal for Clint and Laura, that gives us a lot of, um, ground we can cover in terms of learning what's going on with Laura a little bit more, Kate and her mom, it it can kind of all come together a little bit. And then of course, there's the Yelena factor as well. Anything else from the episode itself that we haven't touched on? I love this backdrop of Christmas to the episode. And I love the way they're using different Christmas music to kind of reinforce what the characters are going through. Did you at all get the vibe when Clint was walking to Grills' apartment when, um, so Christmas time is here. Yeah. By Vince Giraldi trio was playing. And all I could think of is sad Charlie Brown. 100%. Yeah, that was absolutely sad Charlie Brown vibes. It was great. Like sad Charlie Brown walking along, you know, not in the Christmas spirit. I was just like, oh my God, poor Clint. And then he just shows up just very like downtrodden to Grills' apartment. And then when the episode ends on the picture, Clint looking at Kate's phone and it's Eleanor and Kingpin. And all of a sudden we cut to the Grinch. I loved it. I just, I love the way they're using the holiday season and music to just supplement what all these characters are going through. I just think it's such this great, like underlying thing that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on, but it really does reinforce everything you're watching. I absolutely agree. It's so great. And I love the Grinch song so much. It's like one of my favorite things. So I watched the entirety of the credits uh, because I wanted to hear the song. And I'm also always pretty curious if there's going to be a a scene in the credits but I'm glad that I did watch the credits through because they ended on the the Hawkeye title card with Kingpin's silhouette over New York did you catch that oh no now I need to go back and watch this and I watched it through Tara I watched the episode four times to prepare for tonight oh my gosh I've only watched it three (laughs) times so there's probably things I haven't touched on that you're like. <laughs> um, and I don't know how I missed that because I definitely watched the credits through, but I'm going to blame it on tiny humans. It's it's blink and you'll miss it, to be honest. And it really is just the silhouette. It's like the New York skyline. And then there's just the silhouette of of the large man's shoulders and bald head. <laughs> Uh, it's just one frame I'm like I'm gonna go back and fast forward (laughs) just that one frame at the end um oh man what a great what a great episode we talked about this a little bit but any other burning questions or things you're hoping to see next week for me definitely the bishop holiday party so the bishop holiday party is giving me vibes of the diehard holiday party like something big is going to go down when everyone least expects it and i would love to see you know in diehard fashion some window getting blown out and someone rappelling down the side of a building or you know some big explosion i have high hopes 
but I'm trying not to because I just want to appreciate it for what it is. <laughs> That's how I am too. I, I don't spend too much time on too much speculation or predictions because I like to just let it unfold. But I'm looking forward to seeing our, our friends here in some formal wear at a fancy party. And I, I think we're going to get some action like you describe. I think we're going to get a little bit of diehard action. And, uh, and I want to see what Kate shows up in. Yeah, exactly. Is the mom going to make her wear the red dress? I highly doubt it. Well, now now that she knows that her mom's in, in cahoots with a kingpin, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that, the emotional unraveling, uh, the emotional consequences of Kate finding out about her mom. There's a lot to get to, though. I hope it's a long episode. If it's another 39 minutes, I might cry. I know. I'm going to be so disappointed. <laughs> I'm going to be so disappointed if I... If I if I click on it and it says like 45 minutes, cause it's five minutes of credits anyway. I, I have high hopes that are semi-reserved. Well, well, let's go with that. I think that's a good approach. So I have one theory to share from Mav who sent this to me about Laura. He writes, Laura still has a secret. Maybe she didn't get snapped. Maybe just the kids did. And she was also Ronan. She also spent five years doing murders killed Maya's dad because Ronin suits are one size fits all, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> um, and it, Clint knows, is that what he's trying to clean up? So I thought this was kind of an interesting thought. And um, certainly it would be a huge mind blowing reveal if Laura was not in, was not in fact snapped uh, or blipped as, as it may be. Who knows if they'd really go there with that, but I did think it was a cool idea and he said that I could share it. So I wanted to put that out there into the world. Well, I think we're certainly going to find out a little bit more about about Laura. I think that there's more there than uh, what meets the eye. I keep going back to when Tony Stark arrives at the Barton farm in Age of Ultron and he's like, uh, that's an agent. <laughs> Those are many agents. <laughs> Those are many agents. But like, you know, I the MCU is really good at reframing, recontextualizing older things. Like it is very possible that she's an agent or has been an agent at some point. You know, even if I don't always agree with the ideas of, you know, your guests and your viewers, I do always enjoy hearing them because they're things I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. So it, it's a very interesting take. I I am curious to see, to see where this goes. Like, just tell me who the watch belongs to. <laughs> they like to stretch it out. They do. How this watch still has a tracer that's like still like hanging. After all these like years. how many years later. <laughs> Well, thank you for for being a listener of the show. And that that's one of my favorite things about doing the podcast is hearing everybody's different perspectives because I'm always hearing people frame things in a way that I haven't thought of before. I have two last questions for you before we wrap up our discussion today. One, hot sauce on mac and cheese. What do you think? I mean, I'm just going to say there's like buffalo chicken mac and cheese. Why not? All right. I, I'm all for it. I, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of hot sauce. I usually do. I don't usually go for the hot sauce on the mac and cheese, although I'm not opposed to it. I usually just do the crushed red pepper flakes. Yes, I, I will say. So I usually put cayenne pepper in mm. my homemade mac and cheese. So it's spicy. Spicy is good, but like the, if it's just the hot sauce, especially the amount that Elena put on it in this episode, it's almost like the consistency is going to be off. It's going to just be too, the whole thing's going to just be too like watery, you know? And it wasn't just hot sauce. It was sriracha. Yeah. 
That's like next level hot sauce. That's true. (laughs) And my other question for you on a more serious note is, do you think that next week's episode, the series finale of Hawkeye, as far as I know, I don't know if there's going to be a second season, but assuming it is the series finale of Hawkeye and not just the season finale, do you think this is the last we see of your guy Clint in the MCU? I really hope not. I'm going to I'm I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to go with I really hope not. I I have a small sense of dread of what might happen to Clint, but I'm hoping that that's not where we're going with this story. And I hope not either. And I I think that unlike with Natasha or Tony, I I don't think that they would go to that extreme of completely eliminating the chance of him coming back um, through, I don't even want to say, like killing off the character. I don't think they would do that. Of course, I could be proven wrong, but I don't think they'd do that. I do think that they could set up a situation in which it seems like he's never coming back. But, you know, especially after this series, I've really been won over to Team Clint Barton. And so I find myself now thinking this is not the last I want to see of him. And I certainly hope to see his relationship with Kate continue, his relationship with Laura continue. And uh, there's more. I would more love to see him Clint's come story. back as like a mentor to Kate yeah. in like later things. Like someone she calls, someone she checks in with. Like not not a starring role, but kind of like the Laura to Kate that Laura yeah. was to him in the other episodes. That's a other, great um, idea. Movies. Somebody who she can who she can call up and count on and bring in that wisdom. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like it a lot. Well, Shannon, before we wrap up, any final thoughts on your mind related to Hawkeye? I'm just glad so many people have come over to Team Clint and people are finally (laughs) getting to see him in a new light that, you know, just reinforces what I've always said about him. He's really this complex character who just was very different from all our other Avengers. And I just want to say thank you so much for finally allowing me to be on the <laughs> podcast for me finally offering and asking to be on the podcast. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Well, thank you so much. And you're welcome back anytime. I'd love to continue talking to you about all of the good things happening in the MCU. And of course, to talk with Rich again. And uh, one of these days, would love to hear from the kids. And uh, if, if, if not to sit down and do an episode, just to get some of their thoughts uh, and put them out there in the world, because they, they really have such unique and um, wise and articulate observations, uh, even at their at their young ages. And it runs in the I'm family. I'm sure they will be sharing them with you when we see you soon. Yes, I can't wait to see you guys. And thank you again so much for sharing this joy of the holiday Hawkeye season with me and the podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about episode five of Hawkeye, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was created by Brooke Pender, who you can find on Instagram at D-E-L-T-A.M-U-S-H and music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening and stay tuned in a very short while to hear my next episode, First Impressions of Spider-Man No Way Home, and then next week for my discussion about the finale of Hawkeye. <laughs>